Mr. and Ms. America. This is Dr. S. The Legend. This is Dr. S. The Legend. By the way, I've got a lot of experience teaching, high school, college level, and many of my students called me uh, either Dr. S. or The Legend. I'm not buttering up my ego. I'm just using a name that my students gave to me over the years. I want to talk today about pandemics. There's been a uh, lot of controversy and discussion about COVID pandemic. I was always interested in pandemics because our grandparents lived in Philadelphia at the time of the Spanish flu, and they told me all kinds of wild stories and what it was like living through that. So I was always interested in that, and I always kind of incorporated the uh, subject of pandemic in the various courses I taught, particularly at the college level. For the last couple of years, I've been telling my students that uh, we're way overdue for a pandemic. Probably we had gone the longest period of time without a pandemic, a major pandemic. We've had a lot of minor pandemics. The last one was the Spanish flu around 1918 into 1919. So everyone alive today wasn't subjected to uh, a previous pandemic. That was not always the case in the past. Uh, one thing I've always made clear is and people have to understand that pandemics are not the exception. Pandemics are the rule. I thought that there was going to be a major pandemic. What I was looking for was an influenza similar to the Spanish flu, and I think others were anticipating something like that. No one really had on their radar a coronavirus pandemic, although in the 21st century we did have two minor coronavirus pandemics, one called SARS and the other called MERS. Not that many people were affected, and for whatever reason, uh, they came and they went. I think in future discussions, we'll uh, talk about the uh, issue of the origin of COVID and the theories behind it. I just read that the government intelligence agencies spent a vast amount of money investigating the origin of covid and they still haven't been able to come up whether it was naturally occurring or whether it was something that uh, came out of a laboratory in China. In the uh, After the Spanish flu, uh, we did have a number of pandemics that occurred worldwide. By the way, pandemic means that it's a particular kind of disease that uh, is contagious and spreads throughout the world. Sometimes it's used synonymously with epidemic. Epidemics are generally more localized. But again, pandemic, epidemic, somewhat synonymous. And then we have the term endemic. Endemic means a disease that kind of hangs around, it comes and goes, more or less doesn't go away. Oftentimes, pandemics can become endemic, like influenza, like the bubonic plague, like smallpox. And in history, it doesn't, doesn't go away. We've put tremendous emphasis on uh, the COVID vaccine. But really, in the history of humanity, we've only really had one vaccine uh, that has eliminated a pandemic, and that would be smallpox. And we'll talk about smallpox in, in a later discussion. thought uh, today would be a good opportunity to start with the worst of the worst, and that is the bubonic plague, also known as the Black Death also known as just simply the plague. And by the way, for those of you who are interested, the plague has never gone away. There are outbreaks of it occasionally in recent years in India, in uh, the island of Madagascar, and it seems to be endemic in these areas. 
And believe it or not, every so often we have an outbreak of the plague in the United States, in the area known as the Four Corners, where the four western states come together. Rather remote area, I believe it's on the Navajo Indian Reservation. Fortunately, we've developed a vaccine for the bubonic plague. If caught in time, bubonic plague can be treated with uh, antibiotics and a person can be cured. Uh, the problem is that it, it, uh, it, it's unusual for doctors to see the plague, and if they don't recognize it in time, then the patient dies because it can be highly lethal. Now, many, if not all, of our pandemics are pneumonic. And by pneumonic, they attack the lungs. Although you may die from something else, the, the lungs are at risk, just like in COVID. And uh, this has to be treated accordingly. And uh, if not, then, uh, then people will die. So in any case, talk about the bubonic plague, what it was like, how it affected people, uh, the nature of the disease. In history, uh, there are accounts in ancient history of the bubonic plague. But the, uh, the main occurrence of the plague, particularly in Europe, uh, that was recounted historically between 1347, just to tell you about the magnitude of the plague, between 1347 and 1353, it's estimated that the plague, when it arrived in Europe, killed anywhere between 50 and 60 percent of the entire population. you got to remember, we talk about mortality. Mortality means a percentage of people to get the disease and, uh, and die from the disease. Obviously, a huge number of people got the plague and died. Some got the plague and recovered. But this is the, probably the most lethal pandemic we've ever had. Uh, just to give you a comparison, smallpox has, uh, in the past, 30% mortality, which means that 30% of the people that get the disease die from the disease in the past. It's estimated with covid and numbers aren't clear, but we're, we're looking at a mortality rate of something less than one-half of a percent, uh, which is a very low number in terms of mortality. Some people will attack me for saying this. There's been a lot of hysteria associated with COVID pandemic, but in terms of uh, past pandemics, this, this one is much less lethal. I know this is not easy for people to wrap their heads around this fact because there's been a tremendous amount of fear uh, associated with it. Uh, keep in mind there's been other pandemics that we've dealt with, particularly uh, in late 20th century into the 21st century associated with influenza, the uh, Asian flu, the Hong Kong flu, swine flu. So flu's always, influenza is always around there, and, and it mutates. And what we've seen recently with COVID, we've got uh, different variations of it or different mutations of it. So uh, that's something to take into consideration when looking at pandemics. And now for a quick word from our sponsor, Classic Coco. Shop sustainably with Classic Coco, authentic Chanel vintage accessories. All of their products are guaranteed authentic or your money back. Give a loved one the joy of vintage with Classic Coco. Use code THELEGEND for 10% off at ClassicCoco.com. Now, back to the show. Back to the historically, uh, we believe that the plague arrived in Europe around 1347 in the Italian port of Messina. I believe that is in the island of Sicily. What is the nature of the plague? Well, it's a bacillus, 
It's, it's not a virus called Arsenia pestis, and scientists generally call it Y. pestis. It generally occupies the gut of a flea, and then the flea attaches to a host and then infects the host. And historically, the host has been a rat, also known as uh, Rattus rattus. Normally, it stays within this parameter, but for whatever reason, historically, back in the day, it passed to humans. The fleas passed to humans. You have to understand, people weren't very sanitary uh, in medieval periods. Fleas were uh, kind of everywhere. There was never an association with fleas and the bubonic plague. Also, they never associated rats with the bubonic plague. There was one theory uh, that maybe the plague was carried by cats and dogs, uh, so the people started killing cats and dogs, which was absolutely the wrong thing to do, because if you know anything about cats and dogs, they kill rats. So this only increased the rat population. Let's talk about rats. <laughs> Favorite subject, ratus ratus, house rat or roof rat. A rat can fall 50 feet, land on its feet with no injury, can climb brick walls, uh, it has certain cartilages, so it's in, it can go through pipes, uh, it can jump straight up in the air a considerable distance, and uh, historically, rats were everywhere. Uh, rats can gnaw through paper, wood, bone, mortar, even sheetrock. Rats can eat anything. Generally, they prefer grain, but they can also eat fish, lambs, pigs. Rats generally don't move a great distance from where their nest is. Rats have been associated with all kinds of infections in the past. Rats can tolerate a lot of Y. pestis. At a certain point, uh, they're going to die. The fleas that are on the rats are then going to move to other hosts and infect them. There's generally been, we believe that the Y. pestis has been in existence for millions of years. There's really no explanation why the bubonic plague struck humans, whereas in the past it was just Y. pestis, the flea, and uh, and the rat. By the way, there was also a, a major outbreak in the plague around the year 541 in the Roman Empire, and around 1346, rumors started spreading into Europe along trade routes that some kind of plague was uh, headed for Europe. By this time, many people in China and India were infected by the plague. It probably reached the Crimea around the, in the Black Sea around 1347. Traveling through the trade route, the Italians at that time, Italian city-states were traders, and they had trading facilities along the Black Sea. And it's believed that the uh, Italian Christians got involved with a minor conflict in around the Black Sea with the Muslim Tartars, and the Tartars had been infected with the plague. As a result, they intentionally would catapult either dead bodies or things that were infected with fleas to uh, infect the Italian merchants. So this would be a classic example of biological warfare. Little known fact, this was also used during the American Revolution, where the um, the British, when they came to uh, America to fight the Patriots, they had been inoculated uh, against smallpox, and Washington's troops weren't, and the British made every effort uh, to try to infect our troops, again, biological warfare. And George Washington, uh, being an intelligent man that he was, made sure that uh, his troops were uh, inoculated against smallpox. We'll talk later about the, the difference 
between uh, vaccination and inoculation. It's oftentimes used synonymously, but they have much different meanings. So what's the plague like? You guys have breakfast yet or lunch? Uh, symptoms appear, this is after flea bite, uh, within several days, headache, weakness, aches and chills, swelling in the groin, because flea normally will bite in the legs, sometimes in the groin area. By the third day of the infection, lymph nodes begin to swell. The Greeks came up with the name bubon or bubonic because from Greek, bubon means groin. And that was usually the area of the swelling or the enlargement area where the plague originated. After a number of days, the uh, victim's nervous system begins to collapse. Neurological symptoms, what's known as dance of death, people become psychotic by the fourth or fifth day. Terror overtakes the sufferer. But the skin blackens and the person dies. 1347, the plague reached Messina. The uh, townspeople realized they weren't stupid. They realized that the plague came from ships that had docked there. So they turned the ships away. But of course, then the ships would go to other ports. People in Messina started panicking. They ran to other villages in, uh, I believe this was Sicily. The people took them in. They felt sorry for them. The plague spread this way. And the people of Catania fled. And then eventually it reached uh, Italy and uh, started going through the various trade routes. One of the factors associated was a, a breakdown in social order. So many people got the plague that society sort of broke down. Government and religion didn't know how to respond to the plague. It's alleged that the Pope sat in his chambers for two weeks uh, in front of a roaring fire. Plague spread to Venice, Genoa, Pisa, Marseille, London. People that were able to avoid the plague went to remote areas or mountain areas. And this makes sense because it's somewhat cooler. The plague is associated with warmer weather and also much less of a rat population and less people. More people you're going to have, the more people are going to be infected. Local governments tried to enact certain regulations. Plague houses where people had the plague were oftentimes mortared up. Uh, in Venice, it was said that 600 people were, died every day. In Florence, about half the population died. It's alleged that uh, one-third of the population of Italy died. Medieval medicine was at a loss to explain anything associated with the plague, why it came, what it was. The church had a uh, ban on mutilation or dissection of corpse corpses, so they really couldn't examine individuals that had had the plague. <clears throat> By the fall of 1348, the plague began to abate, but then in the spring and summer of uh, 1349, it came back again. Reoccurrence is associated with warm weather. People stopped bathing because they thought that spread the plague, but otherwise it was inexplicable. There were different kinds of plagues, at least variants of the plague, to use the term today. The first was called simple bubonic plague, transferred from rat to person by a flea bite. The second and the most common form and the most deadly form was pneumonic plague, which occurred when the bacillus invaded the lungs. Essentially, a person would have the bacillus in the lungs, they would cough, another person would inhale the bacillus, and the uh, mortality rate of uh, pneumonic plague was around 95%. There was also a third form of the plague called septicemic. Uh, nobody's quite sure. This is when the plague would invade someone's system, maybe through a cut or sore or something like that, and septicemic 
plague was entirely fatal. So you have a huge number of the population essentially uh, getting the plague and dying. People started blaming other people, blaming gypsies, beggars, cripples, lepers, Jews. Another explanation was that the plague occurred because people were ungodly and not religious enough. So there occurred a group of people known as the flagellants. They wandered from town to town, whipping themselves to the point that they started bleeding. Uh, And this, of course, (laughs) uh, probably spread plague among the population. A general psychic breakdown in Europe because of the fact that so many people uh, got the plague. We had feudalism and the whole system of feudalism broke down because a number of uh, workers or serfs were decimated. The plague then returned at various periods of time, 1361, 1369, and it seems that actually major outbreaks occurred right into the 19th century. As it occurred over time, less and less people got the plague, and one of the theories is that uh, survivors of the plague that had got it and survived were able to pass on genetic immunity to the next generation. It's also believed, and I'll talk about this later, uh, that uh, certain people possess a gene. This gene uh, prevents them from getting the plague. Uh, What's also interesting is uh, this same gene will prevent people from getting AIDS. So not everybody died. The good news was that many doctors died. Well, it wasn't good news. And so therefore, uh, the, the medical schools were decimated and new breed of doctors came on the scene were better able to address what was going on as far as what was happening in the plague. And also, uh, keep in mind that the, the church was unable to come up with any kind of explanation, and so coincidentally, as you had more and more outbreaks of the plague, uh, this kind of coincided with the Renaissance, the Reformation, because when you have an event like this, it changes society drastically. Uh, prior to the plague, we were in the medieval period or the Dark Ages, like a thousand years, not a whole lot happening. And then once the plague passed through, uh, everything changed. Of course, it's not a good idea that so many people died. But in any case, the plague brought about tremendous uh, changes in the society. So what about the plague today? There was a case in uh, 2015 in the United States in Yosemite National Park, a child became infected with the plague in the United States. It's not necessarily carried only by by rats. It can be carried by squirrels, chipmunks. Then there was the case back in 2012, seven-year-old Sierra Jane Downing. Uh, She thought she had the flu. Uh, She was camping with her parents in Colorado near the Four Corners. Then she had a seizure. She was rushed to the local hospital with 107 fever. Doctors didn't know what was going on. And uh, fortunately, one of the doctors, just coincidentally, had been reading about the plague and knew that it was endemic in the Four Corners and decided to test her for the plague. They discovered that she did have the plague. Uh, The emergency room doctor called other hospitals, and they were able to fly her to Denver and confirm that she had the plague. She was treated with antibiotics. This was the first time anyone, any physician out there, uh, had seen the plague. The parents were extremely grateful because their daughter was saved and that the doctors 
uh, we're able to think out of the box. Uh, normally, you get sick and you, you go to the emergency room, they're not going to test you for the plague. Uh, it's believed uh, that she had been playing, don't ask me why, that she'd been playing with a dead squirrel. She wanted to bury the squirrel. The squirrel hadn't been buried. In any case, she would. She handled the squirrel, and she tried to bury it, and it's believed that she was infected by the fleas uh, that were on the, the dead squirrel because what happens is when the, when the host dies, then the, the fleas abandon ship and are looking for a new host. So to make a long story short, she was the new host. So I was talking to you a little earlier about genetic immunity to the plague. This involves the uh, National Institute of Health Research where they were investigating back in the 1980s uh, hemophiliacs were given AIDS-infected blood, like 20 of them, and 19 died, and uh, they traced all of the, the patients. And uh, one guy, he, he didn't even get sick. They spent a lot of time analyzing him and looking at his genetic makeup, uh, and they discovered that he had a gene called Delta 32. They also examined his history, traced him all the way back to a village in England, in this particular village, uh, they tested people genetically, and something like 20% of the population uh, also had this Delta 32. Interestingly, even more interestingly, when the plague hit the village back in the 1300s, uh, not that many people died. So the general conclusion was that this mutation, this Delta 32, protected the hemophiliac from AIDS, and it also protected many of the people in the village in northern England from getting bubonic plague. They were able to track all this information because this village uh, kept very accurate parish registers going all the way back. And many of the people have remained in the village. Their uh, ancestors and descendants stayed in the village. So they were able to look at uh, marriage records and burial records and all kinds of things. What might be interesting to look at in terms of COVID is studying people that haven't and have died, maybe study people that have a mild case and survive, or study people that don't get it. They're exposed to it and they don't get it. Why is that the case? Why do some people get it and have a mild case and others are exposed to it and they don't get anything? So far as I know, there is no explanation for this happening. So the bottom line is if you go into the four corners out there in uh, western United States, be on the lookout. Don't go playing around with dead squirrels or uh, any animals for that matter because they might uh, harbor the bubonic plague. There have been other recent outbreaks. In 1994, there was a plague outbreak in India. Significant number of people died from the plague. Several hundred people died. A couple thousand people got the plague. plague was in the city of Surat. There was a bit of uh, a panic because there wasn't enough antibiotics. People panicked, and uh, they fled to other local cities, and it's estimated that 300,000 people left Surat. The panic was amazing. About 300,000 people left the city in two days for fear of being exposed to the plague, but then again, they might have been uh, spreading the plague. In um, 2014, there was an outbreak of the plague in the island of Madagascar, which is off the southeastern coast of Africa. Again, pneumonic plague, several hundred cases. And then the 71 deaths for 27% fatality rate. And over a period of time, 
uh, and uh, it returns. It's usually associated with warm weather. Uh, Madagascar and in India, these two areas are known as uh, endemic plague areas. In the past, plague has been uh, associated with these areas for whatever reason. Uh, almost all the cases are pneumonic plague. If not treated right away with antibiotics, the person's going to, going to die. Fortunately, as I mentioned, uh, antibiotics, if, if caught early, antibiotics are very successful in treating the plague. There's also a vaccine, but I'm not aware of the fact that people are normally vaccinated for the plague. It's also in India and Madagascar, the fact that the outbreaks have become more severe uh, in the last couple of years and that uh, almost all of the cases demonic plague, and they're along the shipping routes in the port areas. So this concludes uh, what I wanted to talk to you today about the bubonic plague and the fact that this thing was so devastating. I think it might be a good idea. You know, you have this whole issue of, you know, if you don't know history, you're going to repeat it. There's a lot of fear associated with covid and a lot of uh, bad information that goes around. Pandemics, it's all relative, and plagues in the past have been much, much worse than COVID plague or pandemic that we have today. Uh, And when we conclude the series on, we'll talk about smallpox and Spanish flu, uh, and then we're going to go back and address the whole issue of the origins of uh, coronavirus and likelihood for the future. Signing off, Dr. S, the legend. Hope you have a good day and don't worry too much about pandemics. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Conversations with Dr. S. Thank you to our sponsor, Classic Coco. Contact Dr. S through his email, drsthelegend at gmail.com. If you get the chance this week, please leave us a five-star review anywhere you listen to your podcasts.